In this episode of The Phantom Jukebox, we meet Tupac Shakur, one of rap's most prominent members. Tupac was a complex individual who, despite his tough outward persona, clearly had a different side where he thought deeply on social issues in the world he grew up in. And we're live. Welcome, everyone, to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty Lindsay. And I'm Joseph Shannon. And we are two musicians that dive into the world of music, though myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. You can find this episode and episodes like it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Good Pods, um, Samsung Free. Anywhere that your major platforms are, we will be there. Uh, also, if that platform happens to have some kind of rating feature or stars, why don't you go ahead and give it a try? Spin the wheel. See what happens. Um, no, but seriously, leaving us a review and a rating really helps us on our end because it pushes us forward and uh, opens up new opportunities for us for the show. And we, we really, we have, we have some things that uh, we would like to get to, but we need your help to get there. We need your help. And you can come and talk to us on Twitter at Phantom Jukebox underscore, Facebook at Phantom Jukebox, Instagram at Phantom Jukebox Podcast. I mean, if you search Phantom Jukebox, you will find us. Yes, you will find us. So, kind of um, beginning this yes. quickly. Yes. Because there's a lot to cover. Mm. How much do you know about Tupac? Well, um, I know that he is regarded as, some regard him as the goat of mm. the rapping community, yes. yeah, which I could understand. I do like some of his music. Um, besides, I know there was some controversy, con, contra, con, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are some, uh, uh, weird things surrounding, uh, you know, whether or not he may still be alive and, uh, the, the whole, uh, hologram holographic, uh, uh, performance that he had. That's really all I know about. Well, you're that kind of stuff we are going to address in part two, mm. but there's a lot to Tupac. And firstly, I wanted to say that uh, we have a cult episode scheduled for the next episode after the, after this two parter. Okay. Um, as our next new subject. So it's pretty much ever, in between each cult episode is going to be um, something people. Um, this was actually a topic that was, we did a poll a while ago oh. and this beat out, um, I believe Spider-Man on Broadway, which is going to be coming later on this season. Ah, Spider-Man on Broadway. Yeah. That's, there's a lot of tragedy with that. Surprisingly <laughs> really? a lot of, yeah. It's really Sounds sad. like such a whimsical tale. You would think, but it's actually really sad. Um, so we're, and we're in between each episode, uh, or a, each new subject of, uh, a cult we're going to be having you know people of note or other stories ah, but nice, the cult nice. is the spine of this se- of this season too hell yeah um and uh to preface there's a lot to tupac so i wanted to dedicate this first episode to kind of understanding where he came from and who he was mm. and then in part two we're going to get into his murder and then the stuff you're talking about like this hologram performance that he did Oh yeah, that I saw clips of that I'm I'm not so sure about. 
um, the the theories that he's still alive, the reasons people he think he's still alive. And um, also I, w- I want to throw in some of the reasons why, you know, the whodunit aspect, like mm, who, yeah. who killed Tupac. So we're not going to get into the um, East, uh, East side, West side um, rivalry in like in earnest, really. That's okay. A, yeah. That would be a complete, that would be its own episode and we're not going to get too far into. That would be its own podcast. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and we're not going to get into too far into the Biggie Smalls and Tupac rivalry either. This is a yeah. focused on Tupac's life, especially in this episode. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that are going to happen that I, we need to set context for that I thought we would spend this episode setting up. Okay. Okay. And I, there was a lot about him that I thought I knew. And, uh, I learned that he was a, uh, again, he was a really, really complex individual Yeah. as far as what he thought about. He was not like your average, uh, he was not your average rapper by any means. Like there's a reason he's considered to be one of the best. Oh yeah, definitely. So I would, I wanted to start in the beginning. He was born June 16th, 1971. He was born. I am sorry. This is the pronunciation of this is tough. His, uh, his first name he was the name he was born with was uh Lizane Parsh Crooks. And later on, when he was one years old, his mother would rename him to Tupac Amu Tupac Amaru Shakur. Oh wow. So she would uh, I believe the family would take on a new name after I believe their great grandfather or the grandfather of um, Okay. Yeah. Um one of their grandparents, like one of his grandparents, they took his name. Okay. So yeah. they just kind of like basically the whole family almost renames themselves. Um, so he would all Tupac would also have um so it's pronounced Tupac as in T U P A C, but it, sometimes it would be the number two Pac. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh he was also had the alias Machiavelli. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Comes into play later. Uh he was an American rapper, poet, and actor. Uh, we couldn't cover everything because he did a lot of stuff in a very short amount of time. And we're going to find out, sadly, how short of the amount of time mm. in which he did things. But um, I did want to kind of d- mention that he's in like seven movies. Really? He's in, uh, I believe, seven movies that are like original movies. Wow. That he has like legitimate parts in. That's not to mention some cameos he did and like a comedy with Dan Aykroyd. Uh, he was on In Living Color for an episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was in a musical guest on SNL. He was a host of SNL. Really? And he, I can't remember the other thing he did, but he he was in a lot of stuff. Wow. Uh, he was supposed to be in some movies, but there were reasons, uh, you know, there were violence against certain directors and he would be kicked off certain sets. And oh, yeah. He was actually lined up to do other movies, but he died before he was able to get any kind of footage mm, on them. Yeah. So he had a, he had so much more to do. Yeah. And it's really, when we get to the end, it's really sad to, to see where it, it came to an abrupt end. Um, like you said, he is widely regarded as one of the most influential rappers of all time. Yeah, definitely. And we're, I've got some numbers too on how well some of his albums did. Again, not all of them because there's, there was so much for trying to squeeze into like an hour here. So yeah. Yeah, I kind of had to pick the big bullet point ones, but there's even more information. Like there was a really, really good documentary I saw that had a lot of information, but it was a little cheesy in the delivery. It was like the final 24 hours of his life. And then they would keep flashbacking. 
back and forth. Mm. And but every time they'd go to a commercial break as like the cliffhanger, they'd be like, but sadly, in 23 hours. Okay, guys, just just his life is interesting enough. We don't need the gimmick. Yeah. But I believe that was the whole gimmick of the show mm. is they would okay. re, they would reaccount that person's last 24 hours and splice and other stuff. But overall had a lot of good information. That was correct. Um, Shakira's music, for the most part, addressed a lot of social issues and uh, things that affected people in the inner cities. Namely, okay. the struggles of black people, black women, yeah. things like that. Um, he had like party tracks on his album. So like, so not every single album before a certain point. And I'll, I'll make note of that. Um, for at least like his first like two or three albums, there's, there's a pretty interesting mix of topic matter. Huh. Okay. Or subject matter, I should say. That was a weird topic matter. Topic matter. Subject, subject matter. Uh, the topic matter attached. Topic matter attached. Uh, yeah, he he went through a lot of stuff. He had like really, really deep references in his music videos. There was callbacks to, you know, this. there was a, in, in one, there was a girl who was uh, shot by a storekeeper. And, you know, there was a whole wow. mix up of like, you know, this storekeeper thought she was shoplifting. Um, he dedicated the music video to her. He, um, he renamed a foundation after one, a kid that was terminal that wanted to meet him. Wow. He did a lot of stuff. And I wanted to make note that he did do a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, thoughtful things. He was a he was a complex guy because when we get towards the end of this timeline, sadly, he is involved with a lot of court cases. And I wanted to try to yeah. balance that out before we get there. Yeah. So this is just as I kept reading, like this stuff kept coming up. And then with some of the theory stuff we're going to get into in part two, it was it was relevant. So I uh, did want to say okay. that he was. Yeah. He wasn't just a bunch of like crime reports and stuff like that. That's not what I, that's not the point of this episode. Okay. It's yeah. the, the find out about who the man was. So uh, beginning our timeline, I also want to note that uh, Tupac comes from Tupac Amaru II, who was the descendant of the last Incan ruler of the late 1700s. Oh, cool. That's where his name comes from. Uh, Shakur's mother, Afini Shakur, um, explained I wanted him to have a name of a revolutionary, indigenous people of the world, uh, of the name of the revolutionary indigenous people in the world. I wanted him to know he was part of a world culture and not just from a neighborhood. Mm. The name would translate to shining serpent, which kind of roughly would mean brilliant spirit. Okay, that's cool. She thought like names had power pretty much. So she yeah. wanted him to have a power. Apparently it worked. I would say so. Um, Shakur's parents were Shakur. I'm going to do my best. Shakur's parents were both members of the Black Panther Party in the 60s and 70s in New York. Okay. So his mother would be eight months pregnant with him and she would be standing trial with 20 other members for conspiring to blow up local buildings. Oh. So like one of the radical factions of the Black Panther yeah. Party. Yeah. Uh, she would be acquitted after charges and she spent like 15 months in the legal system dealing with that. Wow. So pretty much from the beginning, Tupac had been, his life was kind of revolved around, you know, social issues and just, you know, the opinions of his mother and the, his family around him. So that was his life growing up. Yeah. So from a super young age, he had like a very, I would say, direct viewpoint of it. Like I it mean, wasn't. Yeah. Even before he was born. Yes. Like literally in the courtroom. In know, the womb. In the womb. So. In the court womb. Yes. Uh, 
in the early 80s, uh, Tupac's mom had to raise him pretty much alone. Uh, he had other siblings, but I believe they stayed with the other, like the other father. Okay. Yeah. Um, his, he had a stepfather he really didn't like. Um, but she would kind of pretty much raise him alone for a, a good part of his childhood. And she, she was, she had issues with poverty in that point. Like mm. they would sometimes be homeless. Oh, wow. So she kind of struggled. But in 1986, she would be able to get them from uh, uh, New York to Baltimore. Uh, and he would be able to enroll in the Baltimore School of Arts. Oh. So she was able to pick herself up and then just relocate her and her son to a, a better area. Yeah. She was trying to get to. Uh, this would be a pretty good experience for Tupac. Uh, he found that he had a love of acting, poetry, jazz, and ballet wow yeah um and he wasn't just like some like humdrum like he wasn't like a background ballet guy he was the mouse king in the nutcracker wow okay and for those who aren't familiar that's like the major antagonist of that performance put that on my resume yeah i mean you don't you don't get the mouse king uh for being a slouch like he was he must have been pretty good oh yeah and there actually would be a, a, a percentage of his very early career that he would be a backup dancer. Wow. So he was good enough to be a backup dancer, which is a, and like an on a professional level, not like, yeah, like in college, like he, uh, a world traveling musician had him as a backup dancer. Jeez. So he was doing pretty good. I wonder what musician could say that they had Tupac as a background dancer. Uh, I have his name. It's, it's, uh, I, I gotta look at it. It's something G. But yeah, there's one guy who did. Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. No. Yeah, I don't think you need to be the Mouse King to be able to be Miley Cyrus's back, background dancer. Is the journey that you remember anyways. <laughs> <laughs> the journey that you remember anyways. Is it good? I can't do the back. I was going to try to do the end. Is the journey that you remember anyways. <laughs> Sorry, everyone at home. This is your first episode. Thank Welcome. You for, thank you for tuning in. It's probably a little more straightforward than Father Yod. <laughs> that was a fun series. You oh get check. Gosh. Please check out our our Father Yod uh, two parter. That was that was a lot of fun. Mm. Still trying to get my hands on an album, but yeah, with people like that, we can go like go hog wild because that guy was actually insane. But uh, it's good to balance the show out with people of note. Yeah. So I thought we don't we, only do trash. No, no, we have individuals. We like, do more than trash sometimes. <laughs> oh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but uh, we had the singer in season two of Tupac. And then uh, we have some other people lined up later on of note. But uh, the Foster Jenkins wasn't Florence trash. Foster Jenkins. Yeah. Yes. No, she was man. That, that one hurt in the feels. Yeah, she was nice. She that was one just, dug deep. Um, Tupac in school was described as funny, uh, personable. He had a wide range of friends and enjoyed even wider ranges of music. Uh, he enjoyed like bands like Kate Bush, U2 and Sinead O'Connor. Oh, wow. On top of, uh, I think it's Don McLean who wrote the song Vincent was a big one for him too. Okay. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he was a, a well-rounded guy, which I think makes for some of the, like the most powerful musicians. Oh yeah. Definitely. Cause he's drawing from a lot of different things. Uh, June 1988, at 16, he was sent to live with a friend in Marine County, California. 
for reference, this is near San Francisco mm. and is described as a pretty rough place to live. Um, according to, to one of the uh, documentaries I watched, his mother sent him away because he wanted to beat up the man who hit her. Oh. So her boyfriend at yeah. the time, and she didn't want um, Tupac to get involved in fights and, you know, get a fight with him. So she sent him away. But unfortunately, the place he got sent to is known for like fighting. Oh. So it kind of like, I don't know. It probably was like the worst place to send him. Don't hit that man. I'm or else I'm going to roll you in fight club. Pretty much. Pretty much. And uh, they say it was kind of notable because like Tupac was not a real, real big guy. Like he, yeah. he got, he got buff later on, but he was, he was stature wise. He wasn't very, very big. And they said that it, he was kind of a brave guy to, to kind of pick the fights that he did mm. uh, or be involved in the fights yeah. that he did because he would be fighting people significantly bigger than he was. Okay. But uh, more power to you. Uh, he would attend uh, uh, Tam- Tamal- Tamalpius? Tamalpius High School. T-A-M-A-L-P-A-I-S. Yes, that. That. High school, and he performed in several productions there. So his love of theater came with him. Okay, that's good. So in a, in a much, and honestly, I'm going to say that was even brave, because in Baltimore, that was the school for the arts. Yeah. And now he moves to a super rough neighborhood, and he loves the theater stuff enough to get involved with it in a super rough area, which I imagine mm-hmm. the production values weren't great. Yeah. On top of people having really strong opinions for somebody who enjoys like ballet. Yeah. Especially as like a guy. Yeah. But I think it was really cool. I think uh, he, he liked it enough to do it. He did not graduate high school, however. Ah. Uh, but later he would earn his GED. And it wasn't for a lack of like intelligence or something like that. Cause he was like, he wasn't a, he wasn't a dumb guy. He just. I think it was between money and then just maybe like the culture there. And he just, he just didn't finish. Yeah. Um, his mother would soon late, uh, would later join him in California. Uh, but once she got there, uh, she would unfortunately like with the struggles and the pressure, she would turn to drugs. Oh, and, uh, that really hurt his and her relationship. Yeah. Cause he would, yeah. he would be involved with, uh, he would sell drugs for a little while. But according to his friend, Ray Love, who he would form a, a group with later, like a, mm-hmm. a rap group later, um, said that like Tupac's like heart just wasn't in that. Like he would see people try to like sell their wedding rings to him. Oh. And he's like, you know, you know, you can't, he couldn't handle that. And honestly, yeah. like, I imagine that's tough enough to do as like a pawn shop, like a legit business. Yeah. Like someone coming in to try to sell you like rings or something like that. Uh, that have like a significant value. Um, just because they're hard on cash. Yeah, yeah. Just, just hard times are that hard or like that people are that addicted to stick to something that terrible. Mm. And they said it was, it was generally like crack uh, was what was being sold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, was, he would eventually kind of like sort of kind of reconcile with his mother. Like she would be a part of his life. Yeah. But even she said like, I surrendered being a mom. Pretty much not that she didn't want to, but she said that their relationship was damaged to the point. Like he still loved her. Yeah. But that paternal kind of relationship just kind of dissolved with the the choices that Mm. she made. Okay. It's understandable. Yeah. Cause from what I can tell, he did take good, pretty good care of her. Like he was, 
Like yeah. uh, he had songs to her and all that kind of stuff. Like he, okay. She was, she was taken care of. Um, according to love, Ray love Tupac. I, I'm sorry. I went said that already. He was, there was my note here is that, uh, he, he seeing people that addicted to something. Yeah. He wasn't gonna be a part of yeah. it. So being in the situation that he was in, he kind of decided that, okay, well it's either be poor or the rap thing's got to work. Cause he was already like working with that. Like he got into rap music in, at Baltimore. Yeah. Like uh, as in like learning the craft and, you know, honing his skills that way, really getting into poetry. Um, but now that he's, uh, he's like 16, he's old, you know, kind of old enough to really get into the business, I guess. Uh, it's kind of like that or bust is his mindset. Yeah. Cause, like, Cause I'm not going to sell drugs or like he sees that he's like, I'm not going to sell drugs. So I guess it's be good or starve. Mm. Which is a pretty, it's a pretty heavy motivator. That is a heavy motivator. Like, yeah. I don't know. Have, what are your thoughts on that? That's a pretty That's, powerful place to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like one of those, you, you can see where people's will is at when with these like people that just like move to LA or Hollywood and just like, well, I, I don't have any plan here. It's something's going to happen or that's it i'm living on the streets until something happens i guess i'm going to become a waiter like every other actor and yeah. uh just kind of slip my demo reel somewhere yeah. in some some producer's lunch i wonder if like there's like a restaurant that most famous people like try to work at because i know that's mm. where like all the producers go to eat probably but i mean that's probably one that like all of the wait wait staff have to go through like years of like culinary uh experience to be able to get there it was like the restaurant like knows yeah it's like we know who you are brad pitt <laughs> you're not just gonna get busting tables for nothing <laughs> you pay us to work here actually and then it goes back to the uh um last the last two-parter we did oh the source cult yeah <laughs> yeah well that would be the restaurant you would try to work at but you wouldn't have to you would just have to give up all of your worldly possessions yeah and so hope, not much. Uh, uh, not Andy Warhol. I can't remember the guy's name. Picks you up for one of his like weird uh, kind of indie type movies. Like Wes Anderson before Wes Anderson, but less yeah. funny. Yeah, exactly. So in 1990, Tupac meets that guy I was talking about. Uh, the successful rapper that he becomes the dancer for is named Shock G. Okay. And he tours. It's a, The group's called Digital Underground. Uh, this is the group that he, he cameos in the his first movie with uh, yes. Dan Aykroyd and uh, John Candy and stuff like that. Um, he's uh, he's just kind of like a background dancer, but he's in the movie. Oh wow! And I believe he shows up in a music video as well. But he's he's just like a backup dancer, and the you know they, I think the camera passes by him. But that's like his literal like first taste of the camera, basically. Wow. Um, you know, he, you know, over time, like he toured the world with this band. Um, slowly kind of working his rank, his way up in the ranks. He eventually gets mic time. Like, you know, uh, he gets to do some verses every now and then. And, um, eventually he meets a producer and, uh, in 1991, uh, gets some real notoriety, a record deal, and then releases, uh, two, uh, two apocalypse now. And that's the number two apocalypse. So two apocalypse. Okay. That's cool. Uh, a lot of rappers, uh, the one that I know off the top of my, my head is Eminem, 
kind of use this album as inspiration. Wow. So right off the bat, his first album, I mean, Eminem wasn't really a thing quite yet. Yeah. Um, but right off the bat, his first album, his first real outing, just to the raw talent this guy had. Yeah. His first thing is people are like, this is something I need to like bookmark and keep in my library of who I want to sound like. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. It primarily deals with economic struggles of people in just really, really tough situations, urban areas, that kind of thing. Certified gold at half a million copies sold. Wow. That's your first album. First album. Damn. That's incredible. Uh, he is, he, he, I think he's still one of the best-selling rap artists. Still. Wow. Yeah. Um, for people that are hardcore Tupac fans will know that I really can't say the full name of this album. <laughs> February 1993, he comes out with an album called Strictly 4. And I will leave it at that. Ah, yes. If you know, you know. If you don't know, you can type it yourself. Uh, this one goes platinum. Uh, over 1.5 million copies get sold of this guy. Jeez. Uh, and features, uh, you know, amongst other topics, one of the ones I wanted to highlight is uh, it features a track that is about women's empowerment. Oh, wow. Which is uh, super unique, in, especially this time in rap yeah. and rap in general. Like a popular song that is about women's empowerment coming out of like rap. Yeah. And actually about women's empowerment. That's not, actually not, not like WAP, you know? No, no. Uh, something that, uh, well, you probably still couldn't play this at church. Uh, <laughs> probably, probably not, but I think better, we'd get in less trouble. Closer or further away from church than WAP. <laughs> I think you're closer, <laughs> closer to church with this one than WAP. I'd say WAP, uh, like even if you're a Baptist, you'd have to do Hail Marys somehow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you have to swing that smoking bucket around you. <laughs> this is still, this is only his second album. It's his second album. Platinum. Platinum. Damn. That's insane. Damn. So I think we talked about before about how your second album is kind of more important than your first album. When your first album is, takes off, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. So for people who aren't as inclined musically, like especially in like metal as well, um, you release like a banger of an album and yeah. people are like, okay, are they, it's kind of like the equivalent of being a one hit wonder of albums. Yeah. It's, like it, a, it's, it's a little, a slightly bigger circle than just a single. Yeah. And if you have this great album and then come out with kind of like a, a kind of a eh one, people are like, okay, yeah, that's all they had in them. Uh, maybe yeah. a producer is the one that guided them on the right track or uh, they spent all the magic on this one. Uh, There's a band I want to say, but I'm not. Yeah. Um, yeah. They just, you know, they're, they're a one trick pony kind of thing. And for him to not only have something that was successful, but it's like literally twice as successful. Like yeah. Platinum. Usually it's either their second album is uh, close or maybe just as good as, but blowing the other one out of the water is a, uh, a trick not pe many people can pull. No. And there is, um, there's a couple albums I didn't talk about uh, in his career because he's got a few. But again, um, they can, he can just continue to do really, really well, like the whole time. Mm. Uh, in 1993, oh, I wanted to also mention that I just, for time's sake, I needed to kind of cut these down to like what I thought were important 
yeah. to setting up our context. 93 is kind of a big year for Tupac in a uh, some cool ways and a lot of bad ways. Mm. Um, this is what I wanted to offset yes. pretty much. Yes. So in 1993, Tupac would meet and befriend Biggie Smalls. Oh, yeah. For a minute there, they were friends. Oh. Which I did not know. Hmm. This isn't the rap is a genre I kind of slowly tried to get into and I need to give it a, another like real shot. Like there's some like, I mean, there's some Eminem songs I like, but that's like Metallica and liking metal music. That's just, it just yeah. comes with the territory. Yeah. So I need to do like a proper deep dive, but I need, I, I need some guidance on that one. Mm, me too. So if you have any suggestions for somebody that it wants to get into, let's say like the classics of rap, like some like good, solid, like, you know, bangers for a sound, like a, a playlist, let us know on Twitter. Yeah. Let us know. Hit us up. Um, I'm just, not against it. No, I want to give it a shot, but I I don't really know where to start with it because it's it's not a genre I have a lot of experience with. Yeah, not at all. Can respect it as an art form, um, especially with like how certain bars get treated and how like certain rhyme schemes get done. Yeah, a um, lot of cool like a lot of cool stuff I've heard, but I don't know where to begin. Like I don't know where to begin to start appreciating it for what it is. Okay, so. yeah, it's understandable. Me too. So yeah, send us a, send us some notes. I will give it, I legitimately want to give it a shot. So let me know. And if you want, I'll send you some good metal stuff so we can do a trade. <laughs> um, so Biggie and Tupac in 93 uh, would record a, so- a, a couple of songs, Running From The Police and then House of Pain. Like there's songs with the both of them on it. Oh, wow. Uh, they would fly back and forth. Like when Biggie was in LA, he would crash on Tupac's couch. And wow. Tupac would stop by Biggie's place every time he was in New York. That's crazy. Yeah, they, they, um, they, this, you know, so that's where there's some conflict in the East versus West side thing. Cause Biggie is definitely an East side affiliate. And then yeah, as we're going to come to find out, Tupac's not necessarily a West side affiliate. Mm. There's a, there's a little gray area there. So uh, at one point, Tupac invited Biggie to join his group, Thug Life. But Biggie would form his own group called uh, Junior Mafia, and it's M A F I A, like an acronym. Okay. Um, Biggie works a lot with P. Diddy, or like, yeah, uh, works yeah. a lot with him because P. Diddy is like a producer, and I think he did some stuff on some albums, but primarily he's, he's kind of a, like a, a big deal on, in like New York and stuff, and he's, like, he's a producer and a band leader, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Tupac suggested that he stayed with P. Diddy because he said P. Diddy's, you know, he can make you famous, basically. Because Tupac, because uh, uh, Biggie wanted Tupac to be his manager, and he's like, I'm, I'm not that guy. Uh, so he yeah. knew that P. Diddy had the experience on that side to, to really get into the nitty gritties of a career. Okay. Where I, I could see that, too. Like, yeah. you have somebody like, because Tupac kind of got started before Biggie did. And then Biggie's like, hey, I want to get where you're at. Can you show me how? And he's like, I'm Tupac's like, I'm just the artist. Like the P. Diddy is a proper teacher. I guess oh, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that he didn't have the skills to do it. He maybe just didn't know how to explain it or like how to, he knew how the West side worked. Yeah. Maybe. That's a little speculatory, but he did say stick with P. Diddy. And also in 1993, um, Tupac would be involved in multiple legal battles that would financially be a strain on him. So again, 
could not cover everyone, but these ones were the major ones that affected him. There's okay. There's there's unfortunately quite a few. There's a yeah. wrongful death. There is some. There's a there's a lot of assault ones. Yeah. One of the ones with the director I was talking about earlier that got him kicked off a movie. Oh yeah. Um. So in '93, he was charged with firing upon two off-duty officers. Um. He uh, a lot of the the. It gets kind of complicated. That's a whole thing in itself. But long story short, it's somebody antagonated, uh, antagonized the other one. Like he was yeah. walking by and either the cops said something they shouldn't have or vice versa. And people started uh, pulling guns on each other. Wow. Uh, that's one case. Uh, he is later charged with the sexual assault of a female fan. Oh. So... He would be acquitted on a, a number of charges except two accounts of first-degree sexual abuse, which involves him, like, grabbing somebody's butt. Wow. So with the assault charges, I will say it was uh, it, they didn't have, like, video of it or anything. It was her against him. Mm, so yeah. I'm just saying that's like a 50-50. We don't know. It's, this isn't accusational by any means. It's just what it said. Yeah. And they... It, Basically, what would happen with all of these cases is he would settle with everybody. So he's having, oh. and we're talking like in 98, he paid one of the two officers was like two, one of them was like $2 million. Jeez. It's a lot of money. Now uh, they didn't disclose the other amounts with the other ones, but uh, yeah. So I will say there wasn't like a lot like with the officer's case, there was more to it, but with the sexual assault case, there wasn't a whole lot of evidence yeah. to say. I'm not saying, again, that didn't happen, but it wasn't, like, cut and dry. Best way to put it. It's just a bad thing to have be brought against you. And for the, uh, so he gets he gets acquitted on pretty much everything except for the two accounts. But he's sentenced to 18 to four, 18 to eight months, up to four and a half years. Wow. That would start in 95. In November 1994, Tupac is shot and mugged in the New York, uh, in uh, Quad Studios in New York. Oh, jeez. So he was, uh, basically, he was walking in, he goes into the lobby, and he was going to be heading upstairs uh, where uh, he's supposed to be meeting P. Diddy and Biggie Smalls. And in the lobby, he gets shot, and they, like, like, like five times, and they take all his jewelry, and they run off. Wow. That's... So that, the, that plays a big part in what we're going to talk about in part two, but it makes him suspicious of like Biggie Smalls. Like this ends their relationship because he can't, but not be convinced. Uh, Basically he is, he is certain that Biggie Smalls and P Diddy are involved for one reason or another. Oh, Uh, so this kind of fuels the East versus West thing that I'm going to talk about a little bit more, I think in part two, Yeah, but it's its own, there's depths to it. Like there was already rivalry before the two of them. But now they kind of had like faces like Biggie's Biggie's representing the uh, the the Crips on the East Coast. And then Tupac is the face of the West Coast, whether he wanted to be or not. Wow. Yeah. And so in uh, February 14th, 1995, Tupac begins his prison prison sentence like he he survives the attack like it's yeah, it's bad, but he's able to recuperate and make the pretty much a full recovery. Uh, February 14th, 1995, he begins his uh, prison sentence for what happened in uh, 93. Mm-hmm. 
Jeez. Like late 93. That's kind of crazy too. Like when you get in trouble for something, you're just kind of waiting to go to prison. Yeah. Because they have to like get everything lined up for you. And it's like, you don't run off now. I'll stay right here. Trust me. Yeah. Wink. And I guess unless you want to become a federal prison, uh, prison, I, I, ugh. So while incarcerated, he, you know, he studies uh, philosophers like Sun Tzu and uh, Machiavelli comes into play here. Mm. Um, this is where he's introduced to people like that. And Machiavelli is an interesting name uh, for him to use. And it's in that name and the kind of like meaning behind it, like that kind of fuel the um, him still being alive thing. Uh, Again, that's in the conspiracy parts of part two. Everything we're going to cover right now is stuff that happened. Yeah. And in part two, a little bit, it's what happened. And then a lot of it's what people think. Mm. October, 1995. Uh, so he's, he served um, a good deal of his, uh, his sentence, not well, you know, a good deal, a couple of months into his uh, sentence. And Tupac is approached by CEO of death row records known as Suge Knight. Ah, I think I need to do an episode on Suge Knight. Yeah. Uh, I need to get in, uh, get into his story because there's a there's a lot to him yeah <laughs> oh i know uh, he was uh i think he was into sports and then so much crime yeah he's involved with a lot of stuff um knight offered tupac a deal sign on to death row records for three albums and suge knight would uh and take suge knight on as a manager and Knight would get Shakur out on bail. Okay. Now, the bail posted was something in the ballpark of $1.4 million. Ah. So this is something um, Shakur couldn't afford, because like, with, with all the legal stuff he was dealing with, which... Yeah, he already dealt with at the time. At the time. like he, the, the $2 million comes later. Like the, That's the 98 mm. stuff. Yeah. But right now, he's having to, you know, the between the lawyers, the court fees and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't have that kind of money around. Yeah. So basically Shook Knight's like, uh, yeah, so you can finish your prison sentence or you can get out now. And basically you're going to, you're going to be my, my cash cow for a while. Yeah. And so he takes the deal. And, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Shook Knight, but, um, yeah, we'll talk about Suge Knight first. I, I have a question coming for you, but I want okay. to set some. Okay, I want to set some context because um, Tupac would have known this about Suge Knight. Like this isn't secret information, ah. so I, you should know it before I ask you that question. Okay, okay. To be fair, Suge Knight and Death Row Records were associated with the mob Pyru, like M O B Pyru. They are a branch of the Bloods. Oh, so there's bloods are like the bigger faction and this is like a splinter group. Okay. And that they're like basically the gang of California. Wow. So that's like, they're basically the West side is supposed to be there. So that's what they mean by West side. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they are the, the, the main rivals of the Crips on the East coast. Ah, and there's multiple Crips, but I'm going to kind of, put them in kind of like one group. Cause there's the South side Crips, the East side Crips and like North. Uh, um, okay. So yeah, there's none of the Crips like any of the bloods and vice versa. Yeah. Um, 
while signing on to death row, uh, basically Tupac signing on kind of made it appear um, that he was joining the West side. Uh. And before that, he talked about thug life like Tupac did. Uh, He talked about like thug life and like, you know, being a gangster and stuff like that. But he didn't have like a side to it. It was literally like there's one album called Me Against the World. Yeah. And it's literally him. Like he is his own side against everybody else. So he wasn't he wasn't really playing into that game until he took the deal. Because Suge Knight is very much a part of the mob Pyru and the Bloods. Yeah. Like his, they said like his mansion would be red at like parties and stuff. Like he's, that's their color, by the way. Yeah. Red and the crypts, blue. Yeah. The Crips are blue. Um, so basically it's him picking an allegiance, whether he liked it or not. And on top of all the other enemies that Tupac had from his pretty much, I don't really care about like, you know, I don't really care about your feelings. Yeah. Like rat, you know, tracks he would put out like he would talk about drug dealers police uh rival gangs you know the crips yeah <laughs> biggie would be one p diddy would be another um people with some with some power behind them as far as getting things done when they wanted it done um everybody he would uh they said in the in the uh, documentary that he had a bulletproof vest he wore most days wow most days <laughs> Like it was, he was very rarely seen without it. Jeez. That's the amount of people he knew that were mad at him. Yeah. To that level. And not just mad at him, mad enough to kill him. And he knew that to, to that level. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's some time. And then February, 1996, now under death row records. Uh, the album All Eyes on Me comes out. That's eyes with a Z. Yeah. And sells 566,000 copies. Like wow. over half a million copies in its first week. And by April of that same year, so what, two months later, multi-platinum. Wow. So not just platinum, multi-platinum, like several times over. Yeah. I don't know if it was fully 10 times platinum, but it was a, it was so much. So much platinum. And this was was, enough to pay off his bail. Well, funny you say that uh, because uh, one, this is considered his magnum opus. Like all eyes on me is considered like his best. Yeah. One of his best works or his best work. And it's rap's first double album. Huh? Which um, if, uh, if you need the definition of it, basically there's, it's two full albums released at the same time but it's like one concept album i think that helps okay well it's not like it's not a concept album but it's an album that you know it's it spans like two cds worth of stuff wow in one release like not all the songs aren't connected but there's like i don't know it could be up to like 20 tracks or something like that yeah that's a lot of music yeah it is and because it's a double album that's that met two of the three albums that he owed suge knight Ah, so that counted. And to be fair, I mean, yeah, it would because it's a lot of work. It's literally twice the work kind of in a shorter window. Yeah, because you would think like an album, let's just say like it's like a year's worth of work. Then you release it and you start that cycle over again. He put out two albums worth in, you know, less than a year and it went multi-platinum. 
which I would like to venture that not many multi-albums go multi-platinum. I can't think of many, not in any genre. No. That is is a lot of talent right there in under a year. That's a lot of work. Yeah. So much work. So now we get to knowing that about Suge Knight and his affiliations. Yes. Would you take the same deal, Joe? The deal of basically join a gang or stay in prison. Um, not just join a gang. Like he owns you for three albums, which theoretically could be up to three to four years. Mm. Like if he released albums in like the normal span of time and uh, he holds all the money because you essentially owe him $1.4 million. Yeah. Right. So until you reach that point, you don't really make a lot. You don't, it's got the Jimi Hendrix thing. Like he holds your wallet basically. And you kind of like get an allowance to go do things with, but you're not getting the money you rightfully deserved from, you know, all your hard work. Well, I'd still take it because better than being behind bars. All right. But like with that freedom though, there's an entire coast of people that are now looking at you, considering you one of their enemies. That's true. But at least now the gaining of enemies, he also did technically gain, I guess, people on his side because he chose a side. Well, he was like forced into a side. But I mean, before, if it was just him versus the world, he didn't really have anyone really backing him up. Well, that would be if you, but now you have the need for people to back you up. Yeah, that's true. So like, yes, you gain people behind you, but you also need them. (laughs) Yeah. If that makes sense. Like you're going to have to put them into action at one point. And now you're expected to be uh, a part of the group. Like you're expected to participate in gang activities, which he winds up doing. That's specifically in one case that it's basically the night that he gets murdered. Mm. Um, I will, you know, I think it's more of a part two thing, but he gets, he's expected to follow suit. Suge Knight kind of owns him. Yeah. But I mean, there's not a lot of things that I would take over uh, getting released from jail. And theoretically, like he was, uh, oof, he, he was, uh, was it October? Yeah. And he got in in February. So he, he wasn't in there very long. I wonder how long he, it took. Like, I wonder if Suge Knight let him sit there for a minute and let him really think about it. Oh, probably. You know what I mean? Like he could have come there maybe sooner, but he's like, nah, I'm going to, Mm. gonna let him want it pretty bad because i don't think it takes long for him to take the deal oh yeah i'm sure he could have offered it before he even went to prison talent wise he didn't need shook knight though yeah no he didn't. like if he if he basically came out and released another record he would just be back to where he was i mean he proved it at least like three times at this point yeah that he he was he was just good great artist and yeah. people he had a strong following yeah. Man. That's the thing too. It's not like he it Suge Knight just had the money at the right time. Yeah. I don't know. I've never been to prison before, so I mean, I haven't been in that kind of a desperate situation. I don't really want to be in prison. That's kind of the whole reason why I'd probably take that deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, um all right. Interesting. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, um but uh, I, I don't know. 
it's easy to say, no, I wouldn't. I'm a good person. But once again, I've never been to prison. I think it's just a yeah. human being a human. Yeah. Um, some things to note, though, of what happens after he joins. And, uh, you know, he joins uh, Suge Knight in Death Row Records. That um, with all eyes on me, the album was more about the thug lifestyle and mm. being and really like dove deep into the gangster side of things rather than the social issues and some of the more like, I don't know, like heavier topics that he had in previous albums. Yeah. So it kind of, it kind of goes to instead of being some party tracks and it's, well, it's not even all party tracks. It's just, it gets really aggressive, I guess you could say. Yeah. Cause he wasn't un not aggressive, but it, I guess you would, you would see it more as like passionate about certain issues. And now with joining uh, Death Row Records, it's more just aggressive. Like he's the aggravator in this situation. Wow. Yeah. Right. So uh, Tupac's bodyguard did mention before that uh, uh, Frank Alexander was his bodyguard. Tupac was not gang related. If he went to represent a color with Tupac, it would be green because that's the color of money. Yeah. So... um, as we said before, the blood's color is red and the crypt's color is blue. So that's the reference he was making. Yeah. That he wasn't either one of them. Um, and on the album cover, um, all, the all, all Eyes on Me album cover, Tupac is doing the West Side hand symbol, like the W. Yeah. And then, uh, which is something I haven't seen on any of his covers unless I missed one. Like I was looking through and it's usually him kind of like doing uh, you know, looking into the camera in, in some fashion where he's like the focus of the cover, but he's never doing like a gang sign of any kind. Yeah. And uh, his necklace, if he's holding a necklace in the cover, like doing this at the same time, the necklace he's wearing is a jeweled version of the Death Row Records logo. Wow. So it's like, come on, Knight. <laughs> he's kind of leaning into he's it. Kind of like, it's like you're just, he's like saying my property like the whole time. Yeah. Like, I'd never seen... I hadn't seen any of that stuff with my experiences with uh, Tupac's imagery, basically his branding. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's doing the West side symbol with the death row logo around his neck. So the, the Crips are like new enemy now. Wow. Like he is 100% part of the group, whether he meant to, maybe he would, to him, it was just a photo shoot, but he was a member of the group now. Yeah. Like the, uh, the Crips would not separate him from that. So now for sure. Uh, he is uh, one of their enemies. Wow. Yeah. And not only like a regular enemy too, like he's, he's a face of like death row records right now. He's the most prominent artist on that album at that time. Ooh. Yeah. That's making some, uh, not friends. No. Cause he's looking like the mascot. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's like the, the, I don't know, whatever ACDC's album uh, record label that they're on. They're probably the star child of that record. Jeez, yeah. So the album also features a B side diss track called hit em up where Tupac goes after Biggie Diddy and any other East coast rapper straight out. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's one part where he uh, claims that he slept with Biggie's wife. Jeez. Uh, it's, and he's uh, saying that he's going to get violent payback for the lobby thing. Wow. That's not a direct quote, but he, yeah. he references like, I'm, I'm going to get you back. Jeez. So um, it was noted that Tupac post prison 
was a much different person. Yeah. Like going in, like he was, I mean, he was still into like the thug life thing and all that kind of stuff, but he, he was still more interested in social issues. And now it is, yeah. I, I hate to, I hate the East coast all of a sudden. Jeez. It, it Suge Knight was basically saying, Oh, okay. We're going to let you, we're going to release you from prison, but in doing so, you're going to say, Hey, look at me. I am now like the face of, uh, I am enemy numero uno, basically. It, it kind of comes across that way. And I, I mean, there's a lot of presumptions here, obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, like he, maybe he was into it that he was into that kind of thing. Maybe he really liked it, but just from my, my experience of like doing the research that I saw, like he wasn't into that kind of stuff pre all eyes on me. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I need to do an episode on Suge Knight. Like I, I, I'm going to probably, that's probably going to be season three. I imagine yeah. material. Cause we're, we have our, our subjects kind of laid out already, but, um, I think he's going to be, he's shaping up to be kind of a dirt bag. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't really see it many other ways. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, at least even from uh, interviews that I've heard of from living rappers today, talking about uh, Suge Knight was not a very popular guy amongst the crowd. No, no, I don't think he got invited to many birthdays. No, including got specifically told not to enter a party. My God. Uh, yeah, that Snoop Dogg was at. Well, that would. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah, Snoop Dogg's on the it's, West Coast. It's on the West, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, mm. that, that, Snoop seems like a cool guy too. Yeah. That would hurt my feelings. Well, I mean, he did, the, he had something, a uh, case about murder or something like that. I don't remember the details, but, uh, the fact that he's on with uh, Martha Stewart, you know, kind of <laughs> makes you forget about any past gang related things. Well, then uh, Ice T's on Law and Order. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you release a cookbook, I mean, we can forget about any gang activity. Well, that kind of like, I, I kind of diminishes your street cred, I think. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the problem. And there's, and there's ridiculous. There's ridiculous BS with metal too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not. I'm not just pointing at uh, um, Snoop Dogg in in general. Like I think it's great that he released a cookbook. Oh yeah. I heard he makes good food. Um, but it's the it's when you build your image around bravado and uh, when you smoke violence. that much dope, you have to make good food. I I you know. I mean, I think that's where it comes from. That's where the heart of the cards. Somehow is his bowl of cereal <laughs> tastes better than anybody else's. I'm sure. Um. But yeah, man, it's, it's a problem with forming your entire image around just like being tough and angry and aggressive yeah. insert five finger death punch joke here. <laughs> and then having a career later on where you're like, you know, I'm 50. I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to be super aggressive all the time. My neck hurts. Like I, my knees pop when I get out of bed. I really do like cooking. I want to put out a cookbook and then well, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's why it makes sense that he did it now. You know, it was semi recently that he did the, that Snoop did the cookbook thing. And, you know, it's, he kind of, he did get older and kind of got calmer as he got, as he aged. I, I think so. But like somehow with Snoop, um, his, I don't think like his image has necessarily been aggressive 
too much. I mean, I don't, I don't know a whole, whole lot about his like career, obviously, yeah. but what I do know of his career, it's mainly based on him being cool. Yeah. yeah. Chill, like yeah. chill and cool. And, and the, like Tupac was more, oh, I guess later on it was, you know, beat people up kind of thing. Like, especially with this last album he did or all eyes and me that we're at right now. Um, how long can you really keep that kind of image up? And then I guess like his, uh, Snoop's image is more evergreen. Yeah. Cause he's like, yeah, I'm cool. He's like, uh, it, it just, he's a really, he seems like really irreverent. So like he just gets to a point where he's like, yeah, I released a cookbook and I'm a really good rapper. And I charge a lot. Like I, it costs a lot to have me featured on your album, but people really do. Yeah. People still do. Yeah. I'm still really good at it. I guess I understand why uh, Suge Knight didn't include it in the clause that uh, getting Tupac out, he had to, you know, do the three albums and release a cookbook and all in <laughs> succession. Apparently, that Tupac been- <laughs> could decently cook, though. There's a story about him cooking steak for everybody. <laughs> that would have been funny, though. It's like the, the Suge Knight was like, yeah, you have to release three albums. And, and a, a cookbook, cookbook. <laughs> and, <laughs> and one of those like adult coloring books, you know. <laughs> Oof. Ah, super aggressive cookbook. <laughs> one of those adult coloring books, only red, uh, only, colored pencils, only shades, and of, only shades of red. Yeah. No blues, at least. Nope. Yeah. Only the warmer sides. Oh, there's no, there's no blue crayons in my, my coloring book. <laughs> Brutal. Um, so this is, this is, um, uh, do you have any final thoughts so far? Oh uh, yeah. I pretty much said them. Yeah. Well, this is where I kind of wanted to wrap up on part one. Ah, because yes. pretty much really soon after this point, we get into Tupac's final night. Um, that would be like the, one of the bigger checkpoints that he would hit after, you know, he releases all eyes on me and then he's basically kind of touring this. And then Mm, he apparently had over the course of like a year or something like that had recorded 150 songs. Wow. That he just had in the backlog. Cause Mm. as we, as we kind of come to find out later on, he releases albums for several years after yeah. he's dead, which plays a part in uh, in part two, yeah, which uh, which is another another thing, you know, that's a, a it is a big part of part two of uh, the series on him. But uh, I don't know what the average amount of backlog songs are, but 150 seems high. That seems pretty high. It seems like an insane amount. That, to just imagine the. Uh, juices flowing out of this guy like constantly to be able to do a double album in under a year and still when he died have over 150 songs cataloged just ready to go yeah and from what i can tell the albums some of the albums do pretty well i'll have more detail next episode but i mean does this guy never have writer's block like (laughs) that's what it seems like it's either that or like he knows when he has good like flows and stuff and he just capitalizes on that yeah, moment. He just keeps going. And then when he does have writer's block, he's like, oh, it's okay. I have 30 songs. I have backlog. Oh, I can geez, sort through. Yeah. That must be nice. That must be nice. We got to get a backlog like that, man. Oh God. It takes me forever to write music. <laughs> well, also, uh, let us, let us know what uh, rap songs we should give a listen to. As Seriously. we said before, I'm Seriously. down to get into it. We- Ty and I are big metal guys, but. 
Yeah, but I mean, like, like all we like all kinds of music, and we need a we need a, a good curated playlist. Yes, and, and let us know this. And I mean, if we if somebody sends us one, we will check it out, and then we'll let you know what we think. And then, then the, the episode that uh, that next episode, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You can let us know at Twitter at Phantom Jukebox underscore Facebook at Phantom Jukebox, Instagram at Phantom Jukebox Podcast. Just look up Phantom Jukebox, and you can find us. Let us know. Let us know. I like I I like getting into new. New areas that I'm not familiar with. It's like the three amigos. Wherever there is trouble, we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, check us out on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of your major streaming platforms. And again, if you can give us uh, a rating and uh, tell us what you think, maybe songs we should check out of any genre, really. Um, you know, please do that for us. It's a it is a it's a small thing on your end, but it's a huge thing for us on this end. Yes. So would very much appreciate it. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our audio wizard, Kenny Grooms, for mm. all his uh, excellent wizardry involving with the theme song. Um, Dakota Galvin for helping out with the research and producing, keeping us in line, emotional support, and uh, doing all of the socials for us. Yes. Thank you, I babe. Do appreciate it. She's on the couch. <laughs> so... Uh, thank everyone. Thank you, everyone, for uh, checking this episode out. Um, next episode is less of a little bit of a timeline in the next episode, but I wanted I wanted to be very more of a discussion heavy. Yes. One. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Next episode two is going to be fun as well. Thank you, Joe, for being here. Uh, thank you, Ty. And until next time.